So you hear these stories, a whole day of stories. I went out into the cornfield and I just came unhinged, wept from this stored up grief. But it was at that moment of deep pain, I realized I had never been more alive than I was in that moment. Hi everybody and welcome to Life Reframed. I'm Lauren Morgan. And I'm Rick Dunn. Hello, Rick. Great to see you again, Lauren. It's been a while. It has been a minute since we've recorded. Our episodes release every sure. week, but we haven't recorded in right. a couple weeks because right. you were adventuring. Adventuring, and one of which included moving my son, Zach, helping him move from Portland, Oregon, via his Jeep and my rental car to Austin, Texas, which is, by the way, Lauren, a very long drive. <laughs> It sounds like a long drive. Did it go okay? It went great. We did well. I found out a few things about America that I didn't know. To drive from Oregon into Utah in the midst of a global pandemic, part two, is fascinating because they have... Two very different ways of viewing the pandemic in Oregon and Utah. And then you go into New Mexico and they see it much more like Oregon. Then you get into Texas and they see it more like Utah. So it was quite the experience. But very thankful he settled in. Great spot for him to continue his career. So we're excited about it. Good. Yeah. Today we're doing a life reframed story. So we have a very special guest with us. We do. And for those who have been listening, probably have seen the theme of this. Maybe folks are new to life reframed stories. They're really that moment when the Spirit of God awakens us or arrests our attention or reframes how we think about our lives and our relationship with the Lord, but particularly our relationship with the world. And it's often a, like a purposeful pivot when someone you're moving and all of a sudden you're like, whoa, I did not see that. I didn't know, know that. I didn't understand that. And that really changes how I think about the trajectory of my life, either in my relationship with the Lord how I see myself or what I must be about in the world. And so we love these stories. Yeah, absolutely. So today for Life Reframe Story, we have Dave Russell with us. And Dave Russell is somebody who everyone needs to know. Before we introduce Dave more properly, Lauren, it, it might be good to note that he is probably one of his great gifts to the world is his daughter is our beloved Laura Benner, who's essential to the life reframe team she is she's a dear friend of mine well done she Dave. keeps us on track you can thank her mother <laughs> Dave takes no credit <laughs> that's great Dave um let's I'd love for you to tell people about yourself Rick I'll have you do a little bit too sure. before we do that but I know Dave has been on staff here at fellowship for how long I guess it's close to eight years okay mm -hmm. and just you're such a great presence, Dave. You're always a joy to see around, and you're around, but you're out serving a lot. That's what Dave does, yeah. right? Well, and folks who heard our dialogue with Kevin DuBose will remember who works in with Emerald Youth Foundations, particularly in the Lonsdale community, will remember his reference to Dave mm -hmm. and Dave's work in Lonsdale, both with our African-American community and our Guatemalan community partners in Mexico. Dave, one thing I've appreciated about you, and we've known each other a very long time, we've walked through some very <laughs> interesting moments in our lives, in our church, in our community, in our world, and I've always so appreciated, as Lauren said, just your presence. I think your presence is the most powerful part of who you are. Yeah, thank you. You bring your heart, but you, you've had a varied career. You were in 
<laughs> in advertising was like the when I got first knew you were in the advertising world, and then over time the Lord just really began working at you and reframed everything. So, take us on that journey. Well, I was at graduate school at South Carolina. I got my first real job at a radio station. I spent about a decade in broadcasting. Oh, that's right. Okay, I forgot that's all about actually that. a perfect fit for you too, Dave. <laughs> it is. And then we were in Savannah, Georgia, and we got pregnant then, and my wife, Carol, did not want to have her baby in that town. Mm. So we came back to Knoxville and worked at some radio stations, and then I got into the advertising agency business for a long time. It was a very successful agency, very competitive. It was in the automotive world, lots of trips to Detroit. Yeah, and I remember coming to your office here you had out in Concord. You guys really were able to build a brand for who you are to build other brands that yeah. fit who you were. It was a great season for your lives. Yeah, it was. Then General Motors decided they were pulling all their business in-house, and so I went off on my own for a while doing strictly branding business and a few stops at sales and marketing and sales managership and all that. And frankly, I was about to hang up my spurs and my six-shooter when... I had a meeting with you and Kevin Huggins, and mm -hmm. the big what-if question, I was to come in and help out John in the missions department, and so here I am. Here you are. One of the things that we share, Lauren, you, I don't know if Dave and I share, is a, a deep heart for what the church can be redemptively and a deep concern that it's awfully easy for the church not to become that. And so that's long before you were on staff, we shared the heart that this is a hard work of grace. It's grace, but it, it's tough to attempt to be the church. Yeah. I. How do I say this? It was, um, I was in my mid-30s. I can just speak for men. When they hit their 30s, the luster has come off a lot of things and start questioning a lot of things. And I just knew there had to be more to faith than what I was experiencing to the degree that sitting on my porch swing one afternoon, I concluded that if this that I was experiencing was all there is. I didn't need it. So then I was rescued by a guy that now is a professor down in Dayton, Paul Bowling. And this is interesting, whose call it was at the time to find young men about in my situation and lead them to the truth of grace. And the idea, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And that was the biggest transformation in my life to that moment. Sadly, you can cut this out of here if you want to, but sadly, even though I was awakened that way, it made me very angry at the institutional church because it had never taught me the truth that mm -hmm. sets me free. Mm -hmm. And We won't cut that so out. I like that part. <laughs> I, I have had cross swords with the institution for a long time, and here I am working for one. So welcome, welcome, welcome to my world. <laughs> Dave, I realized we jumped into this. We skipped the part where, because you mentioned your wife, Carol, and then we mentioned Laura. But tell us a little bit about your family, too, just so everybody can get an idea of the whole picture. Sure. Of I met Carol at Maryville College, and then she went to graduate school at UT in library science, and I went off to South Carolina for journalism. And we got married in the middle of my time at South Carolina. In 1976, we had our first daughter, Sarah. And then in 79, our second daughter, Erin. And then in 82, the beloved at Fellowship, Laura Benner. <laughs> we have six grandchildren. Everybody lives close. So we're blessed that way to have our, all our family close by. 
Love it. Okay. Absolutely. Okay. So to dig in a little bit more, you talked about this moment and and realizing you were angry at the institutional church. Can you walk us through that a little bit more? Like some of the things that had angered you or the things you saw that you felt were problematic? Yeah. At that time, I had probably been a Christian for a little over a decade, came to Christ through a book that Bill Bright read for 60s kids called Revolution Now. It was about Jesus' revolutionary. And through that book, I made an intellectual decision for Christ. The other stuff followed. But I just couldn't believe that I could have been in church for so long and have it seem like it was all about being dutiful, doing the right thing, not doing the wrong thing. Management. Yeah. And I remember... One particular pastoral prayer of confession in a service that went something like, Lord, we know we are an unworthy people. We know that we don't have any right to come before you, but Lord, we come, we confess our sins. And my head exploded because I went to myself, how dare he drag these dear children of God groveling before the throne of grace when they have every right to hop up in his lap Mm -hmm. and be hugged by him and call him Abba. And that was at the height of my rebellion. (laughs) (laughs) So (laughs) I don't know if I answered your question. That was great. That was a great answer. Rick, I know that you said, welcome to my world, yeah. working in the institution sure. of the church. I love the people of God. I love what, who we can become. But the reality is it's extraordinarily, profoundly human. And anytime you gather a large number of human beings, you gather a large amount of sin. <laughs> and my, something we share in Davis, we feel specifically called to, and it is a calling, it's a, not a vocation you would choose on your own. It's a call to. You're on staff. You're back on staff now, too. So you're a part of this deal, too. I'll just as an aside, it's not my story. It's your story. But we connect on this. I was 19, and I told the Lord, I said, I'll serve you. I love you. Just don't make me go to church. And then somehow through that, he just said, hey, you know, really, your biggest contribution, Rick, to the church will be adding more sin to it. But I also called you to be a part of the redemptive process. I died and gave myself up for not for the institution, but. People have to gather and they do institutionalize and it's part of the deal. There's a moment when I had made the decision that I was going to stay and be the lead pastor of Fellowship Church over a long period of time as long as the Lord provided and led. And I had a moment where I shared that in a vision night. And, and it, it was the moment when Dave Russell, again, without going to the whole story, it was the moment uh-huh. when Dave, when you decided to join me in that, that I believed we were going to be okay. Because I know you wouldn't join unless the Lord, Spirit of God put that on you. And you knew I wouldn't either. And so we have a very remarkably shared process, even though we may be in different areas and doing different things here. We have a remarkably shared process. And just so our listeners know this, one of the people who've told me the truth, both when it felt really good and both when it felt really hard. And I've always admired, appreciated, and loved you for that. Thank you. It was a very difficult moment for me. I know. To come forward that evening. Symbolically join. Yeah. That was like, okay. You looked at me like, <laughs> I swear <laughs> to you, Lord. I swear there was a moment where we just say, come forward and just, if you will, if you want to make this commitment to the, let's do it. And Dave came forward and he looked at me, his shoulders dropped <laughs> and he sighed and he was like, oh, okay. <laughs> if I have to, if I, have to. I guess I'll be here. Because honestly, Dave and Lauren, 
I think this is true. I would much rather know that the Spirit of God was calling someone reluctantly into a mission than to think that they felt like it was going to be fun. <laughs> it's been a blast, Rick. <laughs> Every time Rick says a bit about fun, Dave's, yeah, a lot of fun. A lot of fun. Uh, but along the way, not actually prior to coming on staff here, the reframing about how you see the world and you're calling into the world, you're calling into the church is to be the church into the world and to lead people there. You're not going to be in the office doing all this. You really have a calling into the world. And that happened back... I don't even remember the year that happened and what you were doing then, but it's a very powerful story. So I was uh, 43. Okay. And so that's what, 28 years ago. Hmm. I have a dear friend, Woody Woodson, who had spent a year with his family in Guatemala. Uh, Long story, I won't go into it, but he brought his family home after a year. He had been exposed to medical missions down there. And uh, the folks down there said, you'd be more used to us in the States where you can collect stuff and get it down to because there's nothing down there. So there were two of us that were having lunch with Woody one day. And he said, hey, I've got a van and I'm going to take it to a buddy of mine in Guatemala and I'm going to fill it up with medical supplies. I'm going to Fentress County Hospital and I'm picking up two incubators and Fentress some other, County, yeah. get some other things. He said, y'all want to go? <laughs> <laughs> it's not exactly an Isaiah 6 experience where the glory of the Lord was revealed. <laughs> but you're, you're 43 and you go, that sounds awesome. Yeah. Let's go. And I would not be sitting here today if Carol had pushed off any on me getting in that van. Mm. But that van looked like Beverly Hillbillies. <laughs> Stuff all over the top of it, stuff all in it. And so we take off from Knoxville, Tennessee to McAllen, Texas, all the way down the east coast of Mexico, turn right at the bottom of Mexico, go My over to gracious. the Pacific coast at Tapachula and drop into the frontier at Guatemala. Okay, I take back everything I said about my cross-country trip. <laughs> yeah, Dave's, Dave's done that a I, lot. That's a long yeah. ways. And I was in a pretty nice Nissan Murano rental car. You were in a not-so-nice van. No, not-so-nice van, no. <laughs> gracious. And the interesting thing about it is somewhere in the middle of the night, when everybody has said everything that they can say, and all you've got is the clump of the road sealers, I was sitting in silence, and I literally said to myself, what in the H are you doing? You mm-hmm. don't even know where this place is. Mm-hmm. Honest to goodness, I did not. So we finally, <laughs> the funny thing is, we were told we'll never drive at night in Mexico. Well, we drove every night in Mexico. <laughs> and so we finally got to the missionary's house where we were going. We unloaded that entire thing, stood in the living room. And then there was a nighttime visit to a hospital, the general hospital in Quesaltenango, Guatemala. That's where poor people go. There's medical care for rich people, but poor people have to go to the general hospital. They had nothing. Vivid memories are surgical gloves hanging up on a line to dry. They washed them. Wow. Uh, disposable surgical tools being sterilized in a pressure cooker on a residential range. And a woman lying there naked with a big incision in her abdomen covered up with something that looked like saran wrap because there were no sutures to sew her up. Oh, no. That is an undone moment. <laughs> but guess what Vine International got them? That's the organization I went with. We went over to Samaritan's Purse 
and they brought out a pallet of sutures. At that time, $2,000 for a one-foot square box of sutures. That's really? the value of the sutures, yeah. And without you could bring them there, they were never going to get access to anything like that. No. That woman would never have access to that. No. Figuratively speaking, around our hospitals, there are flower shops nearby. Right. Down there, there are mortuaries. Wow. The poor say, no, I'm not going to the hospital. I'd rather die at home. And I'd like to say that over 28 years, the situation has improved and it hasn't. So is it that they don't have the access to the supplies and the health care providers? Is that mainly why people are dying when they go to the hospital instead of being saved? If you have money, you can get medical care and all the supplies you need. But if you don't have money, there's nothing you can do. It's corruption. Wow. Black market. <laughs> okay. So unless you're going to pay. Yeah. And this is true through all of Central America. It's not just Guatemala. And you use the word undone. And yeah. I'm familiar with that term, but mm -hmm. some of our listeners may not be what that word means to you and what that moment, how that being undone reframed your life. Something occurs that is heinous or immensely sad that's outside of your realm of experience, and it cuts you to the core and you become unwound, undone. I don't know what else you call it. Here's the way I'm, from your description there that I would maybe elaborate on, see if you think this hits it right, is that it's like a part of you starts to come out of who you are almost unraveling and there's no way to put it back. No, you can't put it you back. You can't put it back. Like You can't be tomorrow who you were two days ago. Mm -hmm. I have my own places where that's happened. I know Lauren's had hers as well where you know my place in the world, I don't know how it looks, but my place in the world includes me being about this. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. And even the way you said it, Dave, I think it was so clear how impactful that moment was to you. Yeah. Being undone. Yeah. It's so powerful. Dave, what do you do now? Like, how would you describe the work you do, the life you live? In yeah. my mind, your work is your life your life is your work not in a sense of i go to the office yeah, and i work all right. the time and i bring my work home but in the sense of i don't think there's a clear-cut line of where your work starts and stops and where your life and who you are begins i think the two are very congruent and who you are in the serving that you're doing th through your work is the same as the serving that you do personally the first thing I thought about this before I came in here. It would be easy to have this conversation and have someone listening feel guilty that they don't feel about things the way I feel about things. I came onto the planet wired to be a compassionate person. I don't get any gold stars because I'm a compassionate person. It's my place in the body of Christ that I've been put. It's very painful. Sometimes you feel like you are, the way I describe it, a pain sponge. It's not the hospital where I had my undone moment. Really? No. That was like an, oh my gosh, moment. Okay. Oh, open your eyes, but yeah. not undone yet. It was probably a couple of years later. We continued to go down to Guatemala and do medical teams. and In the van? Well, I, my second trip overland was in a bus a caravan of two buses. And we had wheelchairs on the top of each bus. We could have sold every wheelchair before we got to the border. 
If you haven't been to a wheelchair distribution with Johnny and friends, you haven't experienced but anything. But you <laughs> literally tied them to the top of the bus? kind of. There were racks built on the bus and they were up there, yeah. That's amazing. But at any rate, all of the medical teams had a prayer and counseling station. And for a little while, we entrusted those to some local pastors. Our cultures are very different, ours and theirs. And what I'm going to say, I don't mean to be judgmental, but I remember there was a child at a clinic. He was a baby, an infant, and he came in with a temperature of 103. And those of us that went with Vine got the kid and packed him in ice bags to bring his temperature down which finally happened. And then the woman was taken to where the prayer was. And there was this group of local pastors who just shouted prayers at this woman. Some of them, I couldn't understand them, but they were loud and they were angry faces. And this woman just stood silently with her head down, holding this kid in in this chaotic atmosphere. And... Woody and I got together after that and said, we're never going to let this happen again. A person would go to a doctor, would get a prescription. The prescription would go to the pharmacy. The patient would come to the prayer and counseling. And we would say, Maria, why did you come to the doctor today? My back hurts and my side hurts. We want to pray for that, Maria. We want you to understand, though, that the doctors and the medicines are free to you. But these people worked really hard to earn the money to come here. So although it's free to you, it really comes at a great cost, which is similar to our salvation of Jesus Christ. Mm. Do you know Jesus? See? <laughs> Everybody says that. Well, so we would, we would move in, and that was the entree to the gospel. And then we would pray for the stated need. And then we would say, Maria, since you're here and we're here, is there anything else going on in your life that you would like us to pray for? And I do not exaggerate that 50% of the people that get to this point weep at the question. Mm. Why do you suppose? Because nobody ever asks them that. Nobody gives a rip about them. Indeed, I met a woman in Guatemala City that had a son who was 18 years old named Jose, had cerebral palsy. He had outgrown his first wheelchair and got a new one. And so he went through the same process with her. She was doing her best to stay smiling. And then we got the story. When I had my son, my husband left me. And I had a son that needed 24 hours care and I didn't have a job. I had no way to take care of him. And she said, glory to God, I met a man who married me anyway. And I had two children with him. And two years later, he was murdered. Hmm. And so you hear these stories, a whole day of stories like that, and you're absorbing them. And one day I had just, the sponge was saturated. And we were in an area on a volcano that grew corn. I went out into the cornfield and I just came unhinged. That would be another word. Unhinged. I became unhinged and I just wept from this stored up grief. And I found what I do is I ignore it and I stuff it and I stuff it and then eventually it erupts. 
But it was at that moment of deep pain, I realized that I had never been more alive than I was in that moment. That was the becoming undone moment. Both at the same time. Yeah. And this sounds weird to say, but really that coming alive is what drives me every day. I've had people tell me when they listen to prayer sessions, well, you can't ask, the, you can't ask that person those questions. Leave me alone. <laughs> I know what I'm doing. <laughs> and you get to that point. I was at Pastor Albert's church in Tijuana. And this is someone who you have a deep relationship with, right? Albert? Yes. Yeah. Well, for anybody listening who doesn't know about Pastor Albert or Tijuana, how would you explain it to them? Pastor Albert came to Tijuana from L.A. under the authority of a Pentecostal Korean church in Los Angeles to be an evangelist to the people who are working at the city dump at the time. So for three years, he preached under a tent. And then Bible studies started, church happened. And so what's interesting, Pastor Albert rented an old church building that was built in the 70s. It's all crooked because it's all built on trash and it's tilted. But he was going to lose that building because the owner was going to sell it. So Pastor Albert made us aware of that need. And in two consecutive Sundays, our church gave $60,000 to him for the purchase of that building. And right at this moment, a big change there. He's got over 600 people living there at that church, migrants from all over the place. So he went from being this little church to this other thing where he's probably one of the most foremost experts on what's going on with the migrants at our southern border. Mm -hmm. I got to know his families. We'd go, our teams would go and visit the families pre-COVID. And it's the same thing. Stacy Johnson came up with some words I really like. It's listen, learn, love, and lead. And so you listen by asking questions, which lead to other questions. And so you just bore down and you learn about them. And in learning about them, you learn to love them. And once they know that you love them, you lead them. It's really a good progression. It is. And I've been either with you or connected to whether you've done that in Mexico. Dave's also been a part of a road trip from Poland to the Ukraine. There's Northwest a- Poland to <laughs> Southeast Ukraine. Please don't discount any of that, Richard. One, one mile from the Russian front. Uh, Dave's been on a lot of wild adventures. <laughs> oh my, yes. But there's some consistency in those. Yeah. It's what you're describing there and the compassion. So that there's that life, and Lauren, this feels like a lot of what we talk about on Life Reframed is life and death commingling, joy and sorrow commingling. And so you've had the privilege of literally seeing lives change, lives saved physically, spiritually, families, generations changed from working in the dump to going to school as a part of helping our folks understand that I'm just going to say it comes with a price for you. To be in that place requires also feeling the level of the lostness and the hurt and the pain. It's not something you just go and have a cool mission trip that you send an email about. You see Jesus at work, but seeing Jesus at work means to carry with you his sufferings as well. Can you talk about that a little bit? So at that moment when I was in the cornfield, 
and I realized that I had never been more alive. I coined to myself that this was a glorious pain. It's a glorious suffering because at the same time, you get a better understanding. Jesus is indeed our life, and he is the one who has, jo who has invited us into the fellowship of his what? Suffering. His suffering. Ah, I can't put words to it. And the moment where someone is bleeding emotionally in front of you, you receive the words of life. The old hymn, sing them over again to me, mm -hmm. wonderful words of life. If I can tell you one more short story about that. I don't think we're going to stop your stories. You're good. <laughs> but Benito and I were at a Pastor Albert's church. And, and identify Benito. Benito huh? Lopez is a man from Costa Rica, arrived here eight or nine years ago to help his wife take care of his father-in-law. And I was advised that he might be somebody I'd like to take to Mexico. So I did. And I showed him the Guatemalan community here in Knoxville and Lonsdale. And one thing led to another, and we've now released him as a full-time missionary with his wife, Patty, into Lonsdale. And how ironic is it that the people that broke my heart first are the ones that live in yeah. my town? You can't make this stuff up. That our largest population in our Lonsdale community of, of refugees and migrants and immigrants. Yeah, indigenous Guatemala. Indigenous Guatemala. So Benito and I are there at Albert's Church. Benito would translate for me. And the lovely thing about Benito is he knows my thinking, he knows my heart, he knows my theology, so he not only translates my words, he translates what I mean. We all need someone like that in our lives. <laughs> yeah. Benito is a phenomenal person yeah, as he well. Is. The heart is there with Benito. So you guys are a great team. Yeah. We were standing at Albert's Church, and we got word that there was a Honduran woman that wanted to talk to us. So we went over to the side, and she was standing there with her large husband. And she said, here's our story. About two years ago, I left home with this man, and he was not my husband. And my father was a pastor, and he disowned me. He said, but about a year ago, we got married, and I told my father, and my father accepted me again. But here's my question. Now, remember, this is her question. She has come up through Honduras, through the entire length of the country of Mexico, arrives at our southern border, arrives at this church, and she's standing in front of Benito and me, and she asked, but how do I know that I'm reconciled with God? Wow. It is true. Don't worry about what you're going to say. You'll be given the words. That's true. So I looked at her really large husband, and I said, may I touch your wife? <laughs> See? <laughs> so I cradled her fat little cheeks in my hands, and I said, I am not God but I'm going to speak to you as God, and I'm going to tell you how I feel about you, mm. which I did. And she crumbled in tears, but she was set free by the truth of grace. Yeah. Mm. And it is those life-changing moments that basically have to Oh, teach people who they are. Rick, we've got a church full of people who have no clue mm -hmm. of what it is that's Christ in them, the hope of glory. They're no longer their own. They've been bought with a price. And basically, 
They don't know that they were crucified with Christ. They died. They were buried with him. That old stinking life was buried with him, and they've grown. They've been raised with him to newness of life, not a made better life, right. not a buffed up life, right. a brand new created in the image of the second Adam. And they're holy and blameless and righteous and forgiven and complete in him. That's basically all I got. That's fantastic, Dave. The thing is, we could sit here and have you tell us story after story. We were joking before we started because the SD card we have in our recording machine, I'm sure there's some technical name for it, has five hours on it. We were joking about, oh, we'll, we'll do five hours with Easily, Dave. easily. But we honestly could. We could sit and listen to you tell us story after story of the things that you've seen, the things you've heard, what you've been involved in and witnessed with your own eyes and what's pulled on your heart. And and I want to hear so many more of those stories. So it's hard to leave it at that and go from there. But I think what you just said is so profound. And I want to elaborate on that a little bit. If somebody's listening, who's never maybe really been outside of this world, or maybe like church to them is this building, is the building. I love what you just said. But what is your message to somebody who's maybe never been to Lawnsdale, which is here in our own community in Knoxville, or hasn't seen the things that you've seen? So curious what you say. I'm going to quote Roberta Truza. Roberta is someone who was from day one, a part of Fellowship Church on many different staff positions and loved Jesus and loved our people and our community well until her death from cancer. Wonderful part of our staff and community. She worked a lot with women. Mm-hmm. And this was near the end of her life. And I dropped by her office to talk to her. And she said, I talked to so many single women. All they care about is wanting a man. They think man's going to solve all their problems. And she'll say, go to a restaurant, look around, look at the couples that are sitting there. Are they even talking to each other? What about the couples in their living room? He's reading the newspaper. She's watching television. They don't talk. Is that really what you want? If you want to be fulfilled, go out and serve somebody. Married or not, that's where you want to go, right? Go serve somebody. And that's what Jesus would call us to do. It's no different today than it was for Jesus. The guys at the beach, drop your nets, come follow me. What you're seeing is awesome, but hey, you're going you're gonna to be doing greater things than these. It's what I would say is you're in a rut, buddy. You need to get your butt busted. That's another way of saying. And then. <laughs> and then. So just come with me. Almost everybody comes back different. And they can do it in Lonsdale. Benito would love nothing more than to take some people with him down to Lonsdale and pray for families. Or our Cedarbrook partnership if you're at fellowship church and a lot of our listeners aren't but if yeah. you can think in terms within our proximity within a mile and a half is a housing development that is full of refugees and full of folks from yep. all over the world from all different religions who were hungry during covid and yep. a number of our people lauren just you actually went down there with jack jack and you i were did part that, of that. Yeah. A little bit. Mm-hmm. and you had shared with me how powerful it was for jack Yes. To be a part of that experience. So the very thing you're describing, you had that experience That with is Jack. true, actually. I feel like that was the first time where he was the age and where I had taken him out and he saw what he was missing out on. Yeah. Yeah. I love yeah, that you so, use that phrase, saw what you're missing out. Like it's uh, not a burden to add to your life. It's the thing you're missing out on. Yeah. Yeah. At the Pines. I've become very close friends with a Muslim family. Never thought that would happen in my life. Tons of reasons in this world that wouldn't happen. They're Iraqis. Kyle Landis, who's in charge of our department, 
has said that our job in our department is to get people out from underneath the big green roof mm -hmm. and serving to the end that they can become undone and discover their calling. And can I just hold that thought for just a moment, okay? Because again, this is consistent with many conversations. It's consistent with our lives, Lauren. You won't know your calling until you're undone. Calling's not something that you Velcro on or you attach to yourself or edit like one more club that you're a part of or one more activity you love or that your favorite team. A calling comes from the unraveling, the being undone, having your, your butt kicked in a loving way. Hey, you thought this was life? Actually, this is life. This is my life in yeah. you, right? Yeah. I want to wrap up with this quote that you sent me, Dave. Oh, great. <laughs> okay, I'm going to read this. It's from Henry Nowen from Out of Solitude. What we see and like to see is cure and change, but what we do not see and do not want to see is care, the participation in the pain, the solidarity in the suffering, the sharing in the experience of brokenness. And still, cure without care is as dehumanizing as a gift given with a cold heart. We want to be professionals, help the sick, help the poor, teach the ignorant, and organize the scattered. But the temptation is that we use our expertise to keep a safe distance from that which really matters and forget that in the long run, cure without care is more harmful than helpful. Dave, you sent me that. It's very... <laughs> It's very powerful that really it is. It's very disruptive and it hits me on a bunch of different levels. I want to know. I want to know your thoughts on it, Dave. At the end of the day, giving sandwich meat and wilted lettuce and apples and rescue food to people is really not the thing. The thing is to put you in context with people. Yeah, they may be hungry, but there's a lot more going on. Asked a young Iraqi there at the Pines or early in our relationship with him, what's the biggest difference for you living here than living in Iraq? He said, well, I don't wake up from gunshots anymore. All right. So there's a door. That comment is a door yes. for questions. What was that like for you? How did your family do with that? However, he answers it, births your next question. And the next thing, guess what? You've listened and you've learned and you love these people. And this young Iraqi shows up every time we're there. And guess what he does right now? When we show up on Monday afternoons, he gets in line and he serves. Wow. He's joined us in serving. Wow. And he is fantastic. <laughs> fantastic. I have, yes, I'm so thankful that Jack and I have met him and know him. Mm-hmm. So you sent me that quote and some stuff that you had said to somebody else about it. And here is a thought I think we can wrap up with. Dave, you said, I truly believe that a pastor, a shepherd, leads with care, not with knowledge, and with tears before counsel, with brokenness before action, and love before prescription. The cure is in the abiding life, and it is that we place in evidence. Hmm. I think... That is something we can all do, whether we're going to venture somewhere new locally, whether we're going to go somewhere globally, whether we're in our day-to-day -day lives thinking about the people around us who perhaps we want to be the cure. We want to fix those things, but that's not what it is. So where are we sitting with those in our day-to-day -day lives and their brokenness and their suffering and being the care? 
in the world around us. That just struck me so much, Dave, and so profound. You have many years of wisdom. <laughs> My question is, Dave, any final thoughts? What else do you think we need to okay. get out so, there before we wrap this up? I used the word pastor in there, and I put in parentheses shepherd. Yes. I did this probably a couple of years ago. I looked up the word pastor in Webster's, and the definition of it was a position in a church. Oh, my. <laughs> I looked it up in the Spanish dictionary, and the word is pastor. And the direct translation in Spanish is shepherd. Mm, which is the biblical model. Yeah. Jesus, John 10, is the good shepherd, right? So he has given us his perfect holy life in exchange for our old stinking sinfulness. We are partakers of the divine nature, which that means we are by nature pastors, pastors, pastores, I should say, because he is one. Therefore, we are shepherds. It's our calling to be shepherds, whether we make a full-time living of it or not. But we have to lead with care. We have to, unless we know their story and are broken over their story, how in the world are we going to present the words of life to them in context of them? Yeah. That's what I mean by that. We must always lead with compassion. The word I phrase that I would use or have used, it's an open heart. You're open to learning and you're open to receiving. You're open to finding out your preconceived notions were not correct. You're open to being undone. I would say, Lauren, from this is that if someone is listening to this and they're like, I don't know where to start, open your heart, mm-hmm. find a place to serve, let God do the rest of it. It's not your job to manufacture being undone. There's nothing more spiritual or less spiritual about it. But he'll take you there. There's an openness. And the scriptures say we've been given the ministry of reconciliation. It's dad's business. We're in his family business. This is what he does. Yeah. So where to start? I'm just thinking of this as we're talking. Well, it's the perfect way to first in it because we want people to make steps. So let's hear. If you ask somebody, do you lead a self-examined life? They won't know what you're talking about. But my admonition would be, it's self-examination. Ask yourself a hard question. Am I who I hoped I'd be? Is life what I thought it would be? Is there something with me about me that's bound up that I need to have undone. Yeah, that's a great place to start. Because it's not about the answer or the fixing. It's about the discovery. Yeah, a self-examined life. But the normal American male is going to get up in the morning. He's going to shave. He's going to eat his breakfast, going to watch the news, going to get in the garage, punch the garage door. It goes open. He turns on whatever he's listening to, goes to work, comes back goes to the refrigerator, gets a couple of beers out of the refrigerator, goes inside, watches the news, eats dinner, goes to bed and repeat. So there's more. There's more. But I think the Lord is responsible for putting that burden on a person. We just have a posture of receptivity. Yeah. I didn't know how dead I was. Being alive is much better. (laughs) (laughs) I love that, Dave. Thank you. Thank you for everything you've shared with us today. I think we have to have you back on to hear more stories and get more wisdom from you. But it's just been a really wonderful and enlightening and thought-provoking and encouraging conversation. Thank you. You're quite welcome. And thank you for hanging with us through this journey together. We really need your presence and are so thankful for you. Yep.
Not all days are Yahoo, are they? <laughs> Not all days are Yahoo. That could be the new life reframe subtext. Uh, Not all days yeah. are Yahoo. There we go. We just we hadn't been able to nail it down, but That's Dave it. just identified it. For us. All right. Thanks, Dave. Thank you, everybody, for listening. We hope you have a great one. We'll see you next time on Life Reframe. We so appreciate our Life Reframe listeners. Thank you for being a part of our conversations. We hope that you enjoy them and and just learn as much as we do when we have the conversations because we literally are creating as we go. So thanks for being a part of that creative process. If you love this podcast, you can go rate us on Apple Podcasts with a five-star rating. That always helps us. You can share this podcast with others who you think might enjoy these conversations or benefit from them. And above all, Have these conversations with the people around you. It's not about expertise. We've demonstrated that well. We're just learning together. And this is how it works for God to work in our lives by grace. We are so thankful for our tech team, our communications team, their support, their creativity, and their excellence makes this podcast work. And finally, to Branded, who happens to be my son, Zach, thanks for another great round of music for our intro and outro. We love it. And when I hear it, I think of you, Zach. So we appreciate you. We love you all. Thanks for listening. And we look forward to the next conversation on Life Reframed.